0: everyone. Welcome to Be the Change. My name is Lily Mott, and today I'm going to be talking about how change comes when you do what you can. My guest this week is Renata koch Avarenga, and she is a gender and climate justice advocate from Brazil, as well as the founder and director of Impodera Clima. I learned a lot through this conversation with Renata, and I'm excited to share it with you. So, without further ado, let's get started with this episode featuring Renata Koch-Avarenga.
1: Hi, everyone. My name is Renata Koch-Avarenga. I am a Brazilian climate justice advocate, and currently I am doing my master in public policy, almost graduating this May at the Harvard Kennedy School. So a lot of my work has been trying to incorporate uh, the work on climate justice, specifically gender and climate justice, so how women are more affected by the climate crisis, but also why women are so important as agents of change so we can solve the climate crisis with justice at the forefront of the solutions. And so a lot of my work is connecting that to policymaking, and that's what I'm trying to do here at the Harvard Kennedy School. And I'm also the founder and director of Empodera Clima which is a nonprofit based in Brazil and led by young people, also focused on gender and climate justice. So a lot of my work in the past eight years or so has been raising awareness to that and making sure that youth have a big platform to get involved in these discussions and really be be the transforming agents that they are recognized in these policy makers. Great to be here.
0: Yeah, I'm so excited to have you on and that was a great introduction. So tell me more about what inspired you to get started with this work. What was your experience like getting involved in gender and climate justice and then of course founding Impodera Clima and now being where you are today where you're doing speaking and you're doing all of this advocacy work?
1: Definitely, so as I mentioned, it's been about eight years of doing this work. So I started when I was 18 years old, just starting college uh, in international relations, which is what I did for my undergrad. And really, I just was looking for an area to get more involved in, to do research in. And climate change was, of course, already a big issue, but getting increasingly more momentum, especially because in 2015, we had the Paris Agreement. So COP21 was that big conference in Paris that launched this large global agreement so that countries would come together to come with solutions for mitigating and adapting to the climate crisis. And so in that year, when all of this was happening, along also with the 2030 agenda for sustainable development of the UN, is when I was trying to find kind of my path within the international relations space. And climate seemed like a great challenge to tackle because to me, it is the biggest issue, whatever else we have in our world in terms of food insecurity, gender inequality, p- global poverty, is all interconnected and going to be exacerbated by the climate crisis. And so that's when it clicked for me. And then specifically within the gender and climate discussion, which I recognize still today is quite new for a lot of people. When I introduce myself and the work we do at Empodera Clima, a lot of people still don't know what this connection means. But really, to me, it connected by Going to COP21, I was actually able to have the amazing, fortunate privilege to attend COP with a delegation from Brazil, with youth delegates from Brazil, and actually followed a lot of the discussions on human rights and climate and got to make those links. But not only that, see those discussioning, discussions happening on the ground at the UN climate spaces, but see that there wasn't a lot of diversity while these discussions were happening. And I was able to really make the link between how we get from Not having a lot of women in these climate decision-making spaces, not having a lot of Black women, Indigenous women talking in, in, in the positions of power or being the diplomats leading their country's delegations, and how that translates to less equity and less justice in the climate agreements. So that's when it all started to click, and that's been eight years of Diving deeper into this work, but not only that, trying to bring people together, bringing especially more young people to these spaces that have been fortunate enough to access and make sure that we have more young voices, more Brazilian, Latin American voices in the COPs and other spaces of power.
0: That's so interesting. And I would love to go a little bit deeper into just what you said about people being surprised or maybe not having heard of your title of being both a gender and climate activist. And I'm sure you've gotten this question lots of times before, but can you explain the intersection between gender equality and climate? I would just love to get your thoughts on how you're working on both issues and how they also affect one another, because it isn't something that I've really talked with guests about on this podcast that much.
1: Definitely. And I think this is a super important question. I think after a while of doing this work and I've spoken at a lot of conferences and panels, sometimes I feel like I'm maybe repeating myself or just uh, preaching to the choir. But the reality is, as I said, a lot of people haven't made those links, even though. We do see, for example, that some people are more marginalized as a result of the climate crisis. We know that some people are more um, affected by the inequalities of our societies, right? And when we think about the majority of the world's poor, we know that those are women. And so just connecting who are the people who are most vulnerable in society in general, so facing the consequences of the patriarchal systems that we have, facing the consequences of the economic inequalities that we have, we are able to then kind of center women, specifically young women, specifically young women of color. And so there's a lot of those intersectionalities that we see in society. And so the idea of gender and climate change and the connections of those is really just connecting the dots between gender inequality, patriarchal society, and other types of inequalities that we we have in our world to the climate crisis. And so understanding that when we have a big flood or a big heat wave in any um, city rural area, whatever it is, we know that usually the women in a specific family are not only gonna have to take that burden of taking care of their, their children while the usually men in the house goes to talk to the community or goes to work. And so the women have to stay at home doing those kind of traditionally uh, patriarchal uh, roles of of women taking care of their kids which again there's nothing wrong with that but the issue is that a lot of the times women are reduced to only those roles and so they get left behind a lot of the times the other thing could be uh, as an example of a drought when women usually in a lot of countries in a lot of cities have the responsibility of getting water for their families. Uh, And so you see all those pictures with women carrying large, large buckets of water in their heads uh, because that's just how it works in a lot of societies. Women carry that burden of getting those resources for the family when the man's out to work or something like that. And that brings multiple intersecting consequences. For example, when a young girl, a young child is tasked with that Um, that activity of getting water for their families, that young girl is usually missing school, skipping school, and is not able to then get her education and proceed to achieve a level of success or really just rise in the rankings of the economic system, really, as a woman. So that's one thing. Also, there's a lot of economic um, and gender vulnerability, especially for older women that are not able to then pursue career interests or really build... um, build a career for themselves based on what they're passionate about and really break those economic barriers, or even just um, violence, gender-based violence, because a lot of the times these women are in unsafe spaces. And again, here I'm giving a very specific example that may not resonate with some people that haven't experienced droughts or are not in those spaces, but this can take the form of any anything that happens, right? Just in Brazil recently, we had some really bad le- landslides. We always have them in a lot of vulnerable areas in Sao Paulo, Rio, other parts of, of the country. And we noticed that those landslides are most catastrophic in peripheries, in slums, in the favelas of our country. And we also noticed that usually the women that are carrying their, their babies in their arms are the ones that are not really able to get out of that situation or really use their voice in their communities. So that's a little bit of the gist of what, how gender and climate connects to each other on the vulnerability side. But I just quickly wanted to mention that it's really important to think about the leadership side of things too. So. Sure, women are more affected. They're victims of the climate crisis, especially women in vulnerable and marginalized contexts. But it's really, really important that they are also in these decision-making spaces, not only so they can share their lived experiences. I think translating lived experiences to a policy space is really, really powerful because they really know what they're talking about. And they can translate that into effective policymaking, but also in the in the sense of just having more equality at the table. We have a bunch of data studies nowadays really showing how when we have more young people when we have more women in those spaces like at the cops, leading cop delegations, being ministries of the ministers of the environment, ministers of Foreign Affairs, we have more just solutions we have more ambitious solutions when it comes to to the climate agreements. So connecting those dots is not only good to share the experiences of those people that are on the front lines of the climate crisis every day, but really make sure that we have more ambitious agreement which we desperately need nowadays.
0: I think that makes a lot of sense, and it's interesting how your work really emphasizes the way that the climate crisis impacts individuals and specific groups of people uniquely as well. And you mentioned some of the ways that Brazil specifically is being affected by the climate crisis, and I would love to go a little bit deeper. What are some of the unique ways that the climate crisis is impacting Brazil?
1: So Brazil is a huge country, right? And so when I get this question, it's hard to answer because there's so many different issues, right? If you think about the north of Brazil with the Amazon, there's all of the complexities that are around that. And that includes, as you mentioned, not only the actual uh, impacts of the climate crisis. So you see, of course, uh, the forest fires, the deforestation, all of those kind of classic, the traditional climate change impacts that we see. But there's also a lot of people related impacts. And so, for example, if we think about indigenous peoples in the Amazon, what we see a lot, especially in recent years, is a lot of violence against environmental activists or against frontline defenders of the earth, which really are the indigenous people. Those are the people that for centuries have been protecting our planet's uh, biodiversity, right? It's the same in the Amazon rainforest. And so we've been seeing an increasing amount of violence and that is related to these conflicting interests that we see in Brazil in terms of economic interests and, you know, for example, um, raising or or planting soy so you can raise cattle uh, for the meat industry, which is a huge one in Brazil, right? And in many, many countries. And that results in a lot of deforestation. Actually, I believe it's about 80% or at least the the big majority of soy production in the Amazon goes to raise cattle for the production of meat and so there's a very direct correlation there about our economic practices and the types of exploitations that we're doing for economic systems to then the destruction of our forests but that is just the amazon and of course i mentioned rio sao paulo which are very big large cities and states that are also affected by the climate crisis in big ways because of the of the large floods of the large the very heavy amounts of rain that we see And of course, because of the lack of infrastructure, especially in the most, in the poorest, in the most vulnerable areas of the cities, we are seeing the destruction right away, especially when it relates to um, environmental racism, for example, which is something that I didn't mention before, but it's completely related to gender and climate justice. You can't really separate the whole conversation about women and gender inequality to the race issue, to the class issue, to the age issue. So all of these intersectionalities have to be present when we're talking about vulnerability, marginalization, and also leadership. Um, so in Brazil, yeah, you see you see a little bit of everything. You see the deforestation factor, you see floods, you see extreme heat waves in the Northeast and in many other areas of the country. And so I think keeping in mind that it's such a diverse country that it is experiencing so many different types of, um, of climate change impacts like the US, for example, right now I'm living in the US and you see the same thing in different parts of the country. I think the important thing in, in in doing work in Brazil or in doing work in any community is really looking around you and seeing what is the issue at hand in your community, what is happening there and what can you do to help, right? And my work has been a lot more at the regional and national level rather than the at the community level, but we do at Empodera Clima, the organization that I lead, partner with a lot of local organizations to then help them and give them whatever resources we can in terms of our knowledge and our resources of uh, people and our volunteers that have this kind of international knowledge to then translate to the work being done on the ground. Because I think at the end of the day, when we talk about Brazil, Latin America, or the global south, We are seeing the impacts and we're also seeing the power and the leadership of a bunch of local groups. But a lot of times that doesn't translate to the global negotiation spaces, right? So a lot of my work has been to try to bring these perspectives to the international spaces uh, and do a lot of articulations and coordinations with Brazilian youth groups, for example, which have been increasing a lot of the COPs. So then have a bigger voice in these spaces because I'm a huge believer, as I said, in the policy-making world and the government space, I think they're crucial so we can solve the climate crisis. But really, we also know that we need the pressure of civil society and the power and the creativity that civil society brings in order to just have things done, to get things done uh, in the time that we need, which is as soon as possible for the climate crisis.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting. And your last advice at the end there is the perfect segue into my last question for you, Lots of young people want to create change and want to make a difference, but they may not know how to get started with that work. Do you have any advice for those people who may be listening?
1: Definitely. I think you know, being in this movement for the past eight years and engaging with a lot of these youth groups, such as Yango, which is the youth constituency of the UN Climate Change Convention, which sounds a little bit complicated, but it's basically the official youth representation of UN climate. And UN climate is the body that organizes the COPs that I mentioned at other big UN conferences, basically the negotiations that are being done at the, the largest level, the global level, to solve the climate crisis. And so I've been to a lot of these different spaces, both at the global level with the COPs, but also at the national level in Brazil. And I think what I've seen is a lot of momentum has increased. A lot more young people are getting engaged. Of course, we've seen how Greta Thunberg, right? And a lot of these amazing young people have kind of raised the bar for the need for youth engagement and youth leadership in climate spaces, which is really exciting. And as someone who has been involved for a long time, it's been just really exciting and refreshing to see how much more young people we have at these spaces. For example, from the first COP that I attended back in 2015 at COP21 to the last COP I attended in COP27 just last year um, in 2022 in Egypt, the amount of young people that we see is really really exciting so i think there's that right and a lot of people get engaged in these spaces and they ask you know how can i attend the cops how can i be part of these spaces which i think is super exciting and important but i do also want to say there's so much more that we can do especially now that there's a lot of attention at the global stage for the climate uh for the climate action solutions for solving the climate crisis i think attending the cops is important but what's more important is doing the work at the national level, because at the end of the day, what the COPs are for those who are not as familiar is just kind of the sum of every country's pledges and commitments to to solving climate change. And so we have something called the NDCs, the Nationally Determined Contributions. So every country has to submit that every couple of years. And some countries are better at you know consulting their population, the civil society, and drafting those commitments together. Some not as much, but either way, I am a huge believer that there needs to be this kind of participatory democracy and this way that we are able to really work with different partners, also talking to to businesses, so um, you know, to the private sector, but also to governments, to other civil society groups, really joining forces. And so My recommendation and suggestion for young people that are just getting involved is, of course, try to see what you can do in your community. If you're in university, I'm sure there's going to be some type of climate movement there. But if there isn't one yet, there is an opportunity there to create one. I, I think that's that's even where Empodera Clima came from I was part of many groups but I hadn't seen anything like a gender and climate organization that's focused on youth and led by youth and focused in in Latin America and Brazil and so that's why I did that but I think nowadays there's so many amazing movements and young people already kind of leading and championing that change and that can take forms in many different ways right like what you're doing I think is really amazing like doing a podcast is a great way to spread the word, share people's stories, but also it can be through social media, creating an account and sharing your knowledge or even just interacting with people. It can be through attending these events or to doing local work in your community, uh, attending those uh, small kind of uh, environmental uh, movements and recycling initiatives and cleaning your beach, things like that are super important. So I think doing what you can is the best uh, advice that I could give, like doing what you can in your community and not necessarily aiming for, you know we all need to be a cop or we all need to be at these spaces because again, I think it's a sum of joint efforts from everyone, right? But of course, if you can, if you're able to get that opportunity, which is how I ended up in this space, I think it's really important to then use the voice that you have to represent those who can't be there, right? The The missing voices that we have, because even nowadays with more youth representation, we still lack a lot of diversity in these spaces, especially when these conferences happen in Europe or in North America, you miss a lot of these really important and special voices that are not able to be there in person and represent that. So if you are in a space like that, maybe you're a young professional starting a job at a company and you see that there's not a lot of diversity there, there's not a lot of climate initiatives happening, you can be that person that starts that conversation, right? So making those links and trying to Uh, use your power because every young people, every person has power to help with the climate crisis is the most important. And using whatever talent that you have, right? It doesn't have to be activism. It doesn't have to be speaking at events, which is most of what I do nowadays, but it can be through art. Artivism is a huge thing or through uh, research and writing academic papers about things or being a journalist. I mean, there's so, so many ways to help. I could be here forever talking about them. But I guess the last thing I would say is Make sure that you find your group and your community, because to me, that's the way that I've been able to continue doing this work. There's, of course, a lot of highs and, you know, being able to to get a a master's degree at a prestigious university and continue this work has been a big highlight. Or even just growing in Pediatric to the level that we're at four years in now has been special. But I wouldn't have done it by myself. Right. I needed all of the people that are a part of it, not only because of the work that they bring, which is fantastic. Again, I don't have all the skills; no one has every skill possible to, you know, do this work. And so we need to kind of join forces to to really have an impact. But also because of like mental health and creating community, because this is hard work. I feel like you know just reading about the climate crisis all days and reading about what's happening in your community or in other vulnerable communities can be really difficult and challenging and so if you're able to have a community to go back to and have difficult conversations with and just think of strategies and what you can do how you can play your part I think that's really special and as a bonus you get really friends for life in this fight for for climate action and climate justice so I hope this helps everyone that's listening get started. I
0: really enjoy talking with Renata, and I really appreciate how individualized and practical Renata was with all of her advice. She stressed the importance of doing what you can do, whether that be on a local, national, or even international level, because every little bit helps in the climate crisis. Whether it's cleaning up trash on a beach or attending the cops like Renata, it's all important when it comes to an issue as dire as climate change. As Renata said... There is something that we can do to fight against climate change, and change comes when you do what you can. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and you can find Renata on Instagram at Renata Koch-Avarenga to get connected with her. If you want to talk about anything I mentioned, please reach out to me by email at lily at bethechangepodcast.org, or on Instagram at bethechangepodcast. Tune in for my next episode, but until then, be the change you wish to see in the
1: world. Bye, guys.